This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. A very familiar voice will soon emanate from your radio. A voice that once startled a nation when its owner performed H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds on radio in 1938. Much of North America was convinced Earth was being invaded by aliens. Such was the power of the delivery and execution of Orson Welles. Tonight we hear him as a curator, if you will, of the Black Museum, based on real-life cases from the files of Scotland Yard's Black Museum. Ira Marion was the scriptwriter, and music for the series was composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Orson was both host and narrator for stories of horror and mystery, based on the collection of murder weapons and various ordinary objects once associated with historical true crime cases. Tonight's episode is entitled, The Brass Button. This is Orson Welles, speaking from London. Here in the grim stone structure on the Thames, which houses Scotland Yard, is a warehouse of souvenirs, where everyday objects, a candlestick, a china doll, a broom, all are touched by murder. Now take this button, this brass button, the symbol of a barracks parade ground, but this was not found on any parade ground. This is interesting, sir. A brass button. Very interesting, Sergeant. It's from an army uniform. Today, that button can be seen in the Black Museum. the annals of the Criminal Investigation Department of the London Police, we bring you the dramatic stories of the crimes recorded by the objects in Scotland Yard's Gallery of Death, the Black Museum. In just a moment, you will hear the Black Museum, starring Orson Welles.
now, The Black Museum, starring Orson Welles. Well, here we are, The Black Museum. Scotland Yard's Museum of Murder. Shelf upon shelf of curious and repellent objects. The urge to kill, illustrated in many, many ways. Here lies death. Here in the echoing stillnesses of the long room, one stands and looks at violence. Expressed by the exhibits that line the shelves, the tables, and the walls. Repellent they may be, but by reason of their association only, for most of these tokens of murder are very ordinary objects. It's a medicine bottle. The drug it contained was beneficial in small doses. But since a woman was forced to drink the whole contents and died shortly after, the jury called it murder. Here's a kitchen knife. No household is without one, but this knife was not used solely for kitchen tasks. It was found embedded in a man's heart. Ah, here we are, the brass button. It is. It's an innocuous, ordinary brass button. This was found near the dead body of a woman. But come back with me to the beginning of this story, to a day some years ago on the common outside the Kentish village of Wayfield. A girl was sitting beneath a tree, busily sketching. She was too engrossed to hear the approach of a young soldier until he spoke. Hello? Oh. Hello? Sorry. Did I frighten you? A little? I didn't hear you coming. Oh, I made enough row. You were so busy with whatever you're doing. What are you doing? Sketching. Can I see? You'll probably laugh. No, I won't. Show me. Hmm. That's very good. Do you really think so? Well, it's fine. You must be the one they call the Swamp Girl. That's what they call me in the village. Huh. Poor, routine, dull people. You don't like routine ways of living, do you? From what I've heard, you're something of a rebel. Am I? Hmm. You seem to know a lot about me. Oh, I've heard things. What kind of things? About how you live in an old shanty at the edge of the swamp and how you roam the common and sketch and paint. You're well informed. People talk about you sometimes. I was interested. And so you came down to see for yourself. Oh, what's the matter? Couldn't you find a girl in town? Don't say that. I wanted to meet you. To talk to you. And now that you have, will you please go away and let me work? Oh, you can work any time. I'll go away soon. If you're nice to me. Go now. I've no intention of being nice to you, whatever you may think. Come on. Then get away. When you found out so much about me, you might have also found out that I'm not interested in men. Least of all, soldiers. That's not very kind. Come here. No. Go away. Come, Come here. here. No. Oh, please, please don't hurt me. Oh, please. No. A woman screamed and cried for help on the Wayfield Common. But there was no one within a mile to hear her screams. 
Two days later in the post office at Wayfield, a letter was returned by the postmistress. Mrs. Riley? Yes, Jimmy? Uh, that registered letter you sent me out with, there, uh, there was nobody about to sign for it. There wasn't the swamp girl at home. No, ma'am. I called out, Miss Morgan, but there wasn't any answer. You're right. You can deliver it tomorrow. Yes, ma'am. Her name was Jeanette Morgan. But people of the town called her the Swamp Girl because of her vagrant, strange way of living. The next day, Jimmy, the postal messenger, rode out on his bike to deliver the registered letter. But once again, the Swamp Girl was not at home. Then, on the way back, taking a shortcut... Jimmy found her. Miss Morgan! Jimmy saw only her legs at first protruding from a bush which had been meant to hide her. At first he thought she was asleep. But he didn't think so for long. She... she... she's dead! I've got to get the police! Murder transforms a little village like Wayfield. All work ceases. The people gather in small groups in the streets to talk about it. Yeah, have you heard the news? There's been a murder. Hey, a murder? Yes, out on the common. Who? The swamp girl. They found her body. I was rather afraid that poor girl would come to grief sooner or later. Well, Vicar, you know how it is these days. No parental authority. Ah, more's the pity. Be that as it may, the man who did it must be found. You know, Bert, if young Jimmy Miles hadn't come upon that body like he did, it might have lain there hidden for months, even years. I wonder how it happened. Well, now, the way I sees it is this. Now in the bar of the local, they sipped their beer and discussed the sensation. Jimmy became something of a hero. He'd found the body and even now is being questioned by the London detectives from Scotland Yard. Uh, this is uh, Jimmy Miles, sir. Hello, Jimmy. You found the body, I understand. Uh, uh, yes, Inspector Gallico. Uh, was she really murdered, sir? Well, that's what we must find out. And you can help us. Oh, really? How? I believe you rode out to her shanty at the edge of the swamp to deliver a registered letter to Miss Morgan. Yes, that's right, sir. Uh, she used to get a registered letter every month. I always took them out. And she had to sign for them, of course. Oh, yes. Then you got to know her, I suppose. Well, don't tell the postmistress, but sometimes I did stay and talk for a while. <laughs> and what was she like? Oh, she, she was nice, uh, really friendly. People said she was a bit peculiar, but I never thought so. And she could draw, sir. Now, think carefully, Jimmy. Did you ever see her with anyone, man or woman? Oh, never, Inspector. She had no friends around here. She once told me so. Mm, no friends, I see. Now, about this registered letter. Was that the first time you had taken it out? Oh, no, sir. I went out the previous day, uh, on Monday. But she wasn't there. Did you call out? Yes, and I, I went round the common, to the places where she used to go and sketch. I knew most of them. And she wasn't anywhere about? No, nowhere at all. What time of the day was this? Well, I, I just left the post office just on ten. It's about half an hour's ride. Oh, you were out there by ten-thirty. Hmm. All right, Jimmy. Thank you very much. Uh, is that all, Inspector Gallico? Well, that's all for the moment. You've been very helpful. 
A lucky witness, young Jimmy Miles. A break for Inspector Gallico early in the case. For with the evidence of the police surgeon, certain facts could be established. What's your verdict on the post-mortem, Doctor? Well, the cause of death didn't give us any trouble, Inspector. She was strangled. What about the time of death? Hmm, that's not so easy. I'd say she died 48 hours ago, at least. Wait a minute. That means before noon on Monday. It ties in, Doctor. Good. But at what time before noon, I would not care to predict. The contents of the stomach indicate she'd had breakfast. Then sometime between breakfast and noon, she met her death. And she was nowhere about 10.30 when the postal boy brought her her letter. What about that letter, Sergeant? Uh, uh, I have it here, sir. Who is it from? It's from uh, Mrs. Morgan of Tunbridge Wells, her mother. Money, I suppose. Uh, Ten pounds, sir. And a plea to come home and live a normal life. Poor Mrs. Morgan. Her daughter couldn't even die a normal death. The pattern of the crime begins to make itself clear. The victim's identity is known. The approximate time and the cause of death is known. Now the hunt will begin for the killer. Here is a police message. The body of a woman named Jeanette Morgan has been discovered on Wayfield Common. Evidence suggests that she met her death by strangulation sometime before noon on October the 19th. Any person who was in the vicinity of Wayfield Common on that day or can give any information should communicate with the nearest police station in order to assist in the search for the murderer. And in this, the police will be aided by a brass button. That same brass button. But today can be found in the Black Museum. In just a moment, we will continue with the Black Museum starring Orson Welles. continue with The Black Museum, starring Orson Welles. To a small cottage in Tunbridge Wells now go the detectives from Scotland Yard. To a house with the blinds drawn where a thin, bitter woman answers their questions in a strangely lifeless voice. Yes, I knew. I knew it was Jeanette when I saw the newspapers. Why didn't you get in touch with us, Mum? Oh, I knew you'd get in touch with me if you wanted me. Besides, what business is it of mine? But she was your daughter. Was she? 
Jeanette's younger sister lives here with me. Works at a shop nearby. She's my daughter. Yes, I see what you mean. I warned her. I told her it had come to no good end. Living that strange and unnatural kind of way. Mrs. Morgan, we won't trouble you any longer, but could you tell us, did your daughter have any close men friends? Men friends? Yes. Jeanette? I wish she had. But a boyfriend would have been too ordinary for her. She had to be different. She had to be the swamp girl. I'm sorry. Why did it have to happen to her? To me? Why? 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 Good evening. Uh, good evening, Vicar. I'm from the police. The police? I don't recognize you. Uh, no, sir. You see, I'm not from the local police. Uh, I'm from London. And I'm down here in connection uh, with the murder. Oh, yes. Terrible, yes. But uh, how can I help you? Well, you can help a good deal, sir. You see, the local police are pretty short-handed, and Inspector Gallagher has decided that our next move should be to make a very thorough search of the common, uh, particularly round about where the body was found. Oh, I, I see. And I suppose you want some help from my parishioners? Yes, sir, that's uh, roughly the idea. Ah, very well, then. We'll help you in every way we can. You can depend upon us. All right, Sergeant. Let's get on with the search. Very good, sir. You yes. take Smart and work in from the road. All right, I'll sir. take Rogers and work in from the field side. I'll meet you by the ditch. Yes, that'll be all right, sir. Uh, here's a... Here's a... A sketch, sir. It's a pencil drawing of, the, of that view across there, I'd say, sir. Yes, it is. Unfinished, too. She might have been working on it. What else have you got there? Uh, this is interesting, sir. It's a brass button. Very interesting, Sergeant. It's from an army uniform. Uh-huh. Where's the nearest camp to Wayfield? I believe there's one across the river, sir, about uh, two miles away. Inspector Gallico left his sergeant in charge of searching the common and went to the army camp to enlist the help and cooperation of the commanding officer. Gentlemen, to see you, sir, from Scotland Yard. Oh, uh, ask him to come in, will you, Captain? Yes, sir. Uh, will you come through, please? Thank you. Major Curtis, I'm Inspector Gallico from Scotland Yard. Oh, how do you do, Inspector? Sit down, won't you? Well, now, how can I help you, Inspector? I'm here to investigate the murder of uh, Jeanette Morgan. Oh, the swamp girl mystery. Yes. Yes, tragic business. Major, not far from where the body was left, we found this... An army button. That's why I'm here. I see. Well, I'd be glad to assist in any way I can, but uh, permit me to hope that it wasn't any one of my men. How many men are there in camp here, Major? Well, at the present time, our unit's strength is 120. We're an engineer section, as you may know. 120 men, huh? Mm-hmm. I wonder if any of them has a button missing from his tunic. Well, if you wish, I'll order an immediate inspection. Not yet, sir. You can assist me in another way first. Oh? How, Inspector? Well, I want a list of all those absent from camp on Monday morning. Oh, that should be easy. 
There's no leave on any week morning. If anyone was away from camp, it must have been for a special reason. Anyone at all, between the hours of seven in the morning and one o'clock. Well, the adjutant can help us, though. I'll get him to make out a list of all those away from camp on Monday morning immediately. The commanding officer was away a short time, and on his return, he brought with him a piece of paper containing a list of names. He gave it to the London detective. Yes, there you are, Inspector. Five men were away from camp during the time you asked about. Mm. Sergeant Willis. Hey, company. Yes, he's our caterer at the present time. We're understaffed, of course. Sergeant Willis and Private Fields were in town with a provision truck. They were together? Yes, we could always check that with one or the other. I don't think I'm very interested in those two. Oh? What about Private Liston, B Company? Oh, he's the unit driver. I, uh, I sent him into town shortly before noon. <clears throat> On a private errand. Shortly before noon, hmm? <clears throat> well, that leaves two. Corporal Paul Ferris? Oh, he's our mailman. He leaves every morning at eight o'clock and drives the mail truck in to pick up the unit mail bag. From the Wayfield Post Office, I suppose? Yes. What time does he generally return? Oh, sometimes by nine. Though on occasions he has to wait for registered mail, you know. I've even known him to be held up as late as well, 11 or, or even 11.30. Would anyone know what time he returned on Monday? I'll find that out for you. Now, this last man, Private Williams, A Company. Yes, if you ask me, he might be your man, Inspector. Oh, why, sir? Because he was absent without leave. From 900 hours on Monday morning until 1,400 hours. From nine till two? Yes. Mm, that's interesting. I'd better see him. And the postal chappy. I'll have them paraded. Corporal Ferris? Private Williams? This is Inspector Gallico from Scotland Yard. He has some questions to ask you both. Thank you, sir. Corporal Ferris, we'll take you first. Yes, Inspector. What time did you leave camp last Monday morning on your mail run? At 800 hours, sir. And what time did you return? Well, I, uh, if I remember correctly, the mail was brought around rather late that morning, Corporal. Yes, sir. I was just about to explain to the Inspector. I had to wait for several registered letters. What time did you actually return? Uh, shortly before 1100 hours, sir. Thank you, Corporal. Now, Private Williams, um, you were absent without leave throughout Monday morning. Yes, sir. Are you able to give a satisfactory account of your whereabouts? I'd uh, prefer not to, sir. Private Williams has consistently refused any explanation of his conduct, Inspector. Oh, that's rather unwise, Williams. If you have an alibi, you'll need it. This is an investigation into murder. Murder? I didn't do no murder. I was with me girl in Wakefield. Ah. What's her name? Hey, Susie Walker, 9 High Street. You asked her if I wasn't there. Oh, I didn't want to get her into any trouble, you understand, that's all. But murder? Oh, I don't know nothing about the girl who was killed. Honest, I don't. Well, we'll check your statement, Williams. I've finished with them now, sir. Couple of fellas. Private Williams. Dismiss. Inspector Gallico drove into Wayfield to number nine High Street. Oh, no. Susie wasn't out with him that day. I remember it distinctly. She went over to see her girlfriend at Kenbury. Well, you can ask her yourself. Susie Walker was a small, frightened girl. The counterpart of Private Williams. Oh, Inspector. I hope he hasn't done anything wrong up at the camp in not telling them where he was. Oh, that'd be terrible. He wouldn't tell a lie, I know that. I'm sure of it. 
You see, we'd had a quarrel and he wanted to see me. I didn't dare let Mother know, so I made up a story about it. She confirmed his alibi. And Gallico went next to the post office to interview Mrs. Riley. Just one inquiry I'd like to make, Mrs. Riley. Oh, anything at all, Inspector. Anything. To think of that poor girl. And my Jimmy Miles finding a body. Mrs. Riley, uh, can you recall offhand whether you had any registered mail for the army unit on Monday? Mm, registered mail on Monday. When I couldn't remember offhand, Inspector, but I'll have it here in the book. Wait a minute and I'll look it up. No. No, there was nothing on Monday. There hasn't been a registered letter for the army since last week. Then the postal corporal wouldn't have been delayed on Monday morning. Oh, not him. He was in for his mailbag and out again quick as you like. Didn't even stop for a chat. I remember that now. What time would he have left here, Mrs. Riley? Can you give me any idea? I can give it to you right on the dot. It's come back to me quite plainly. We opened at 8.30. Corporal Ferris was here waiting when I arrived to open up. 8.30? And he didn't stay? No, not more than a few minutes. The inspector picked up Sergeant Worthington and together they drove back to the army camp. A few orders from the commanding officer and Corporal Ferris was paraded once more and his gear searched. At the bottom of his kit bag, they found what they were looking for. Uh, here we are, sir. A battle jacket with one button missing. And it matches, Sergeant. Uh, Ferris, what have you got to say about this? That's crazy, sir. I don't know anything about it. She was sketching, wasn't she, Ferris? She drew a pencil drawing of you, isn't that so? You're bluffing. She didn't do any drawing of me. It was a landscape scene. A landscape scene, yes, so it was. And that fact has never been mentioned in any of the papers. Only the sergeant and I knew that, Ferris. And the killer. Paul Ferris was taken into custody. Charged with the murder of Jeanette Morgan, the swamp girl. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you have heard the facts in this case as related by the witnesses which have been called, both by the defense and the prosecution. The prisoner stands before you accused of the crime of murder, a particularly brutal murder, a murder without motive. But lack of motive is not necessarily a defense. It is for you to decide whether the facts which you have learned during this case, not only the words spoken by the witnesses, but the mute testimony of the material objects placed before you, justify your verdict, which must be beyond all reasonable doubt. The brass button and a slip of the tongue led to his downfall. Today, that brass button occupies a place of honor in the Black Museum. Orson Welles will be back with you in just a moment.
now here in person is Orson Welles. The picture was completed when the tracks of a vehicle were found some 50 yards away from the scene of the crime. The tracks were identified as those of the mail truck of which the driver had been Corporal Paul Ferris. The defense did their utmost to prove insanity, but the jury were in little doubt that the man was sane and that his advances repulsed he'd strangled the swamp girl to death. They took 17 minutes to find him guilty and the brass button which had led to his arrest was exhibit A on the courtroom table from where at the end of the trial and the pronouncement of the inevitable death sentence, it was taken to its present resting place in the Black Museum. And now until we meet next time in the same place and I tell you another story about the Black Museum, I remain as always obediently yours. Museum starring Orson Welles is presented by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Radio Attraction. The program is written by Creswick Jenkinson with music composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Produced by Harry Allen Towers. Stay tuned for A Day in the Life of Dennis Day. Well, time to hear from a guy who had quite a sense of humor to go along with that gorgeous Irish tenor. Yes, it's time for Dennis Day.
forget the day we were ordered on review. The king came down to see us, and the queen was we in two. As I marched by the royal coach, the king just shook his head. The queen put on her royal specs and looked at me and said, Heal the broad, brown, highland, and air, private, but there's not another soldier like him in the Scotch Brigade. Red among the heather, oh, you can see his Scottish bills by the wig. Wig, wiggle, waggle, wiggle out of the kilt. Oh, dear, dear, he's too utterly, 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 utterly. He's the bra, bra, heel and laddie for Ivor Jump There's not another soldier like him in the Scotch Brigade. Red among the heather. Some months ago, when it first became apparent that our young hero Dennis Day and Mildred Anderson were serious about each other, his landlady, Mrs. Anderson, felt that Dennis wasn't good enough for her daughter. That opinion of Mrs. Anderson's has been altered somewhat by time. She now feels he isn't good enough for anyone's daughter. <laughs> Mrs. Anderson has never been a woman of patience, and this morning she finally ran out of the little she had. So, without further ado, she summoned her cuter half to her side. Herbert? Yes, Angel Eyes. <laughs> I've decided this ridiculous romance between our daughter and that day boy has gone far enough. We're going to put a stop to it. But, oopsie, they're crazy about each other. Why, just the way we were at their age. They're infatuated and nothing more. Well, haven't you noticed the way he looks at her? Just like I used to look at you. With love and respect and desire and fear. <laughs> I've heard enough, Herbert. You're going to Dennis today and tell him he must give Mildred up. Oh, Poopsie, I just can't. It's too cruel. Oh, nothing. Well, now, suppose someone had broken up our marriage. What would I have today? No ties of any kind. Out every night in the week with a different... A different... Well, uh, maybe you're right. I'll talk to the boy. <laughs> My boy? Yes, sir. I have a message for you from headquarters. <laughs> what does she say? <laughs> it's been decided that when Mildred gets married, she must be supported in the style to which she is accustomed. Gee, that's well. We'll be very happy to live here. Afraid <laughs> you don't understand, my boy. Mrs. Anderson doesn't want you and Mildred to see each other anymore. Not see each other anymore? No. But Mildred and I want to get married and have a home of our own and three or four children. It wouldn't be easy under those conditions. <laughs> I know, but you see, my wife feels that you're not making enough money at present. Enough money for what? Well, name it and you're not making enough. <laughs> well, 
it's true that I use the simplified form for my income tax. <laughs> it is indeed. Doc, you know, I, I, I hate to see you and Mildred break up, son, but you're making only $8 a week, and, well... Uh, yeah, I know. You've asked Mr. Willoughby for a raise down at the drugstore, I suppose. Sure, lots of times. He gets very upset. His eyes pop out and he starts to shake. Oh, that isn't good for him. It isn't good for me either. I'm what he shakes. <laughs> Let's think a minute. Now, when I was contemplating marriage, my boss let me invest in his business. You mean he let you come in as a partner? Yes. Unfortunately, the deal turned out very badly financially, but Pupsy married me anyway. Gee, you got it coming and going, didn't you? <laughs> well, nevertheless, I feel that a partnership in the drugstore is the only solution, Dennis. Now... Suppose you sound out Mr. Willoughby today on putting $100 into his business. Suppose he sounds me out on what $100? <laughs> well, let's worry about that after you speak to Mr. Willoughby. You've got to try it, son. After all, you and Mildred have been going together for seven months. You don't want to end up going together for seven years, do you? Gosh, no. We might forget what we started out for. <laughs> I'll talk to Mr. Willoughby this morning. <laughs> Mr. Willoughby. Yes, Dennis? I've been thinking. On company time, use your lunch hour for that kind of nonsense. <laughs> but, Mr. Willoughby, this is important. What would you say if I told you I wanted to invest some money in your business? Some money? Uh-huh. My boy! My dear, dear boy! Here, have a cigar. Oh, thank you, sir. How much money? Five thousand? Three thousand? Two thousand? A thousand? You're going in the right direction, but not fast enough. <laughs> well, how much do you want to invest? A hundred dollars. A hundred dollars? Here, have a cigar. <laughs> Thank you. Back to work, my boy. Well, it was worth a try. I thought I could get my pay and a share of the profits instead of drawing a salary. Hey, wait a be... minute. Instead of drawing a salary? Yes, sir. Son, this is the time to invest in a sound business. Things are booming today like never before in history. Really? Why, yesterday I heard you tell a customer business was never worse. Yeah, well, you've got to expect little fluctuations from day to day. Oh. Yeah, I'll tell you what I'll do, Dennis. For $100, I'll give you 3% of this drugstore's net profit. Oh, boy, what'll that come to? Well, if business picks up a little, nearly $7 a week. Mr. Willoughby, I don't consider this a great step forward. Well, Dennis, you don't want to be a wage slave all your life, do you? I didn't, but it's beginning to look better to me now. <laughs> but a partnership doesn't mean only money, son. It means prestige. Can I ever say to you again, Dennis, sweep out this door? No, sir. No. From now on, it'll have to be, partner, sweep out this door. <laughs> yes, sir, that's true. Of course. I'll go back to my office right now and draw up a paper covering the whole thing. See you later, dear partner. Gee, I wonder if I'm doing the right thing. Every once in a great while, I don't. But for a hundred dollars, I ought to be getting more. Hi, Dennis. Oh, hello, Mildred. Daddy told me you were going to talk to Mr. Willoughby about a partnership. Did you? Yeah, he's inside now, drawing it up. Oh, Dennis, how wonderful! At last, you've taken your first step in the business world, and who knows where it'll end. It can't go far. Seven more steps and I'll starve to death. 
Turns out that partners get less money than wage slaves. But, Dennis, you can't back out now. It's an investment in your future. Don't you want to prove to people that you're a man? Well, I think I ought to let them rely on circumstantial evidence. <laughs> but don't you realize this partnership is our only chance? Father won't let us see each other again if you don't take it. But I don't even know where to get the $100. Well, you could try the bank. They lend money to anybody who is considered a good risk, or even a fair risk. Yeah, but I'm classified as foolhardy. <laughs> You're nothing of the kind. Go down to the bank and see Mr. Courtney personally, and tell him you want a loan. Well, okay, I'll go, but I have a terrible premonition, a horrible feeling that somehow this is going to lead to another of my normal days. <laughs> Introduce, I am... Oh, of course. 
My father told me you were going to call on me. You're his highness, the Duke Ricardo Alvarez y Velasquez y Ramon de los Trujillo. Am I pronouncing it right? If you are not, who is going to? <laughs> well, do come in, your highness. Or may I call you by your first name? Oh, see, pick out anyone you like. Oh, Ricardo, you're making fun of me. You keep thinking that, no matter what anybody says. <laughs> you're cute. And Daddy tells me you're just enormously wealthy. Oh, see, see, I am loaded. <laughs> I could tell when I saw the lovely bouquet you sent. A great many pesos went into it. I told the girl on the roses and gardenias. She must have put them in by mistake. <laughs> Oh, you silly boy. You're making fun of me again. It was only a question of time. Oh, I think you're just adorable. Did, um, did my father happen to mention to you anything about me being, uh, engaged? Oh, see, to a man, I think he said. <laughs> yes, but I think we can forget about him. You're so much nicer and richer. Oh, see, I am the white sheep of my family. <laughs> yes, isn't it wonderful? And you know, Ricardo, since I've been going out with the Count, Dad's cut off my allowance. Uh-huh. There are any number of little things I'd love. That is, if you... Oh, say no more about it. We'll go down to the five and ten and run amok. Right up to ten dollars. <laughs> oh, Ricardo, you're adorable. <laughs> That's the best joke yet. This time I hoped I had missed. <laughs> There's a cutest little shop in Middletown. You especially will just adore it. We'll drive over. But, Senorita, really, I don't oh, think... Oh, don't be silly. I don't object to your generosity in the least. That's the prerogative of royalty. Uh, gee. Huh? <laughs> Come on now, you can tell me all about your subjects in Spain as we walk to the car. My subjects? Yes. What are they like? Oh, the same as here. History, chemistry, algebra. <laughs> Ricardo, you darling. the shop I was telling you about. Look at the sign. Senora Carmen Fernandez of Madrid. Genuine Spanish laces and... Miss Courtney, I don't like this place. I think it's run by foreigners. Yes, of course. You can talk to the senora in her native tongue. This I am inclined to doubt. <laughs> oh, silly. Come on. Senora Carmen, look what I brought you. A countryman of yours. A real duke. I am glad for to meet you, senora. But for the sake of the young lady, don't you think we should speak only English? You're so right. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't dream of talking Spanish. <laughs> now, don't mind me at all. You two have a nice chat in your native language. Really? We don't wanna. <laughs> I absolutely insist on it. Well, you better go first, Duke. Uh, 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 Menagua, Nicaragua, La Coloma, Cheduma, Senora. Uh, San Luis Obispo de los uh, Xavier Cougar, Tijuana. <laughs> oh, she, she. My. What a beautiful liquid tongue Spanish is. See, Senora Carmen and I understand each other, I think. <laughs> I'll say. Now let's get back to English. 
Uh, would you like to see some merchandise, dearie? Yes, there are. <laughs> Oh, I got some lovely things in, dearie. Uh, look, isn't this a gorgeous negligee? Oh, it is. May I have it, Ricardo? Uh, the Duke is going to pay for it? Oh, yeah. This gives me pause. <laughs> cash or check, Duke? Well, uh, how much is it? One twenty-five. Oh, cash, of course. What a dollar and a quarter to me. I got millions. <laughs> The price of the negligee happens to be $125. Huh? Wrap it up, senora. Give her the money, Ricardo. But I... 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 Give it to her, Ricardo. But all I have here is 110 I'm sure... Oh, well, that'll do fine, thanks. And I'll deliver it tonight. Oh, thank you, darling. And I'll have her deliver it to you so you can give it to me tonight in person. Dennis? She, but I... Oh, Shelly, I knew you all along. You're Dennis Day, the soda clerk in Willoughby's drugstore. You pretended to be a Spanish nobleman to meet me. Because you're in love with me. Me? Oh, no, you're wrong, Miss Courtney. You're making a revolting development positively repulsive. (laughs) Don't try to hide it, Dennis. I knew when you bought that expensive negligee for me. I think you're the sweetest boy I've ever met. I'll never let you go again. Ever. Well, Dennis, my boy, I guess there's only one thing for you to do. Drop dead. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, Dennis. And this Courtney girl's coming over here tonight? Yeah, Mildred. And she said she'll never let go of me. Oh, we got to think of something, and fast. Women, that's the trouble with this world. There's too many of them. If a person isn't a man, he's got to be a woman. There ought to be a third choice. Wait a minute. Women, suppose you convinced her that you couldn't be true to her, that you're a regular devil with the women. Isn't there some idea that's less fantastic? (laughs) Oh, you can do it, Dennis, don't you see? I'll come to the door with a a telegram or something, and you pretend I'm a stranger and make violent love to me. When she sees how fickle you are, she'll never speak to you again. Well, I'll try it, Mildred. And if it doesn't work, drop down to the bank and see me sometime. I'll be the third vice president from the left. Yes, darling. There's something I feel you should know. I could never be true to you. I believe in polygamy. What? Yeah. Strictly the gay life for me. Night after night. Nightclubs, parties, drinking champagne out of ladies' slippers. First removing the ladies, of course. You mean your girl crazy? Yeah. I wouldn't be good for you, child. I'm just an old teabag in the cup of romance. (laughs) I've been dunked too often. Nonsense. Honest. I fall in love with every woman I meet. I just... Watch. This will prove it. Wait till you see what happens to me when I see this girl. Come in. Ah, my dream girl. Stand there. Just let me look at you. Don't move from that spot. So who's moving? (laughs) 
you. I thought, I mean, dream girl, I'm mad about you. I can't live without you. I can't. Force yourself. <laughs> Don't you understand? I'm mad about you. Look, here's your negligee and stay off the stuff, will you? It'll knock your brains out. <laughs> happens to me, Miss Courtney, and with every girl I see. But you saw Senora Carmen this afternoon and nothing happened. I know. It's at night that the beast walks. <laughs> Here's another girl. Probably a telegram or something. But it'll happen again. You'll see. Come in. My dream girl. Stand there. Just let me look at you. Don't move from that spot. Dennis Day, have you gone crazy? No, ma'am. I love you madly. Here's my arms, dreamboat. Make port. What? Don't try to fight it, kid. Kid? Come on, let's pitch woo. Bet I can pitch it faster than you can catch it. I've heard enough, Dennis Day. I never want to see you again. Come here, young man. Wait, Mrs. Anderson. Wait. Telegram for Dennis Day. Mr. Day will be busy for a few minutes. Shove it under the door. Now, wait a minute. You stay where you are, and I'll shove Mr. Day under the door. Mrs. Anderson, please. Please, that's my good nose you're pulling. Please! With Charles Dant and his orchestra, here's Dennis to sing his latest RCA Victor recording, Mamzelle. Someday 
Jack Benny every Sunday, and be sure to be with us again next week for another Dennis Day program. More songs, more adventures in the life of our star, Dennis Day. Meanwhile, be sure to use Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth. for used fats than ever before, so save used cooking fats and oils, turn them in for cash. Remember, too, industry urgently needs fats and oils to help produce soap, automobiles, refrigerators, all the things you want and need. What's more, the shortage of fats and oils is a worldwide problem. So for your own good, use and reuse fats and oils as often as you can. When they're no longer usable, save them in tin cans and turn them into your dealer. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the FBI in Peace and War, followed by the Aldrich family. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.